Turn in your Bibles, please. Ooh, I'm a little hot there, I think. <laughs> That's not a statement <laughs> about anything <laughs> other than the microphone. <laughs> um, would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 62? And I still feel like I'm really getting a lot of feedback. Um, in your pew Bibles, it's page 566. Is it something I'm doing? Okay. Let me pray uh, before we jump into this beautiful passage of Scripture. Come on, yes, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I normally try to bring a bottle, but I forgot it. Ha ha. Unfortunately, he's right on. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Christ, I, I come to you humbly, recognizing that um, I really don't have a thing to say to all of these people who have come. Nothing that is of value outside of your word. And so I pray, Lord God, that this morning the words of my mouth would be your words and the meditations of my heart and of our heart would be upon your word. And I pray, Lord God, this morning that the Holy Spirit that you have granted to us to be with us and in us would guide us and teach us, remind us of the words of Christ as we look at your word this morning. In the name of Christ alone, I pray. Amen. You know, before we read this passage, I just I want to ask a question. Considering all that's going on in the world, in our country, in our state, maybe even in our families, when you think of our Ukrainian brothers and sisters uh, suffering, and not just them, but all of the people of Ukraine, um, many dying. Um, much destruction. When you think of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are being summarily murdered because they call upon the name of Christ. When you think of the crisis in Haiti and uh, Burkina Faso and Nigeria and China, and I could go on and on. Are any of you feeling an undercurrent of anxiety. Anyone? Whew. I really am glad you are. Well, no, no, I'm really not glad you are. I'm glad that I'm not the only one that is feeling this undercurrent of anxiety. I think it's important that we acknowledge that. For me personally, the anxiety kind of uh, jumped to a whole new level and escalated the Sunday, January 9th, when Dan had his stroke. And it's kind of just continued on an upward swing since that time. You know, um, Mary returned from North Carolina last week and saying goodbye to our uh, gunnery sergeant, Marine Morgan Nathaniel A., um, who is once again being deployed to the war zones. And the, see what I mean? Anxiety. 
um, and the truth of the fact that our grandkids are in the state that they're in that you all know um, about, but they'll be without their dad for a very prolonged period. Um, that causes me to feel anxious. And I know that my circumstances are, in fact, often little in comparison to some of the circumstances that you face in your daily lives. And I don't want us to um, ignore or pretend that that anxiety isn't there and that it's not something real. But what I do want us to see this morning is there something we can do about that anxiety. There is truth in God's word that addresses this directly, and we're going to look at that. We're starting a series today on prayer. It's four weeks on prayer, and you will be happy to know that Dan will return to the pulpit next Sunday. I am thrilled that Dan will return to the pulpit next Sunday. And he'll be preaching on with what attitude should we pray. And then the third week, we'll be looking at what should we pray. And the fourth week, we will look specifically at the Lord's Prayer. So this is a very important series for a time when our lives are faced with significant anxiety. Because prayer really is the answer. Now I've given the end of my sermon at the beginning, but you'll just have to hang on to the middle anyway. I hope, and really I know Dan hopes this too, that by the end of this series of sermons, you will understand the enormous, enormous privilege we've been granted. Or at least you'll begin to understand this enormous privilege. And that you will know better than you ever have before what we are to do with things like fear and anxiety, our needs. And that you will know better how to fight this fight of the faith in a far greater and more skilled way. So I encourage you, do not miss one of these weeks. These are important weeks as we talk about these things. You see, prayer is one of those good and perfect gifts that we've been given. But it's also one of those gifts that we leave unused very often. And if we're really going to understand how to pray, we must pick up this weapon of our warfare and use it. At first, we'll probably be a little weak at it. I've never actually met anybody that's really strong at it, and I've known some, known some very great prayers. People who I want to be in the presence of when I have a need that I need to pray through, and I'm not sure how to do it. There, my grandmother was one of those. Um, an amazing woman. I would go and visit her, and I would <clears throat> sneak 
literally. I would sneak out of the bedroom that I had there at her home, and I would sit on her couch in the living room and listen to her pray on her knees for hours. I'm not exaggerating. I don't know how she stood after those that time. I never got to hear a lot, but what I heard the most was, Oh, Lord. She knew the source, and it was so important for me, such a formative time for me, to see the value that this 80-plus-year-old woman put on her time before the Lord every single day of her life. I wish that I was as dedicated to this idea, this truth of prayer as she was. And hopefully, as we go through this series, we'll all get a little better at it. So turn, as if you already have, we're going to read Psalm 62. <clears throat> For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? The only plan, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O oh God, on God, rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock and my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high esteem are a delusion. In the balance, they go up. The picture is the balance. They're all on this side, and they go up. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. The power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Now, before I really dive into our verse for the day, which is 62 verse 8, I want to lay some groundwork. I started talking about anxiety, and I want to spend a little more time talking about anxiety. There are three things 
I think, at, at least three things. I know there are three things that contribute to anxiety for me. I think these are probably true for most of you as well, although your list may be even longer than mine. But I don't want to in any way imply that these three that I'm going to talk about is an exhaustive list of what causes anxiety or where we get anxiety from. I just want to briefly touch on it. The first thing that I think it's important we understand about anxiety is something that Christ taught us. And it really is that we focus on the wrong thing. We focus on what's temporal versus what's eternal. And Matthew 6, the, Beat, the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 25 through 34, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, oh you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we wear or what shall we drink? Or what shall we eat? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So the first thing that Christ tells us in this passage in Matthew 6 is that anxiety comes because we look at the temporal. We look at the things that simply will not last. And when our focus is on them, we lose focus on the things that do last. And we begin to worry. The second thing he tells us in Matthew 6, 33 to 34, is that our priorities are mixed up. We not only focus on the temporal versus the eternal, but we seek the temporal instead of the eternal. And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. That's one of the places I have trouble with. Today ought to be sufficient trouble instead of trying to predict what tomorrow will hold. And the third thing I want us to see um, is that we feel anxiety because we forget. And it was providential that um, Jason referred to this passage. We didn't collaborate. Um, it, is, it was providence. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds, my heart and my mind, in Christ Jesus. There are two things we need to take away from this passage. There is a critical practice and a critical truth. The critical practice is to rejoice and keep on rejoicing. Rejoicing is not dependent upon circumstances. It's dependent upon a person. And that person is Christ. And then the second thing is a critical truth. And here's that critical truth. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. The Lord is at hand. This is one of those places in um, translation and then in, when they put the uh, verse numbers in and stuff, I really think they messed this one up because they split verse 5 and 6 at the wrong spot. Verse 6 ought to start at the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Instead, we often read it like this. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious when that's not what's being said here. We cannot be anxious because the Lord is at hand. He is the cause of that relief. So the critical practice is to always rejoice, and the critical truth is always to remember that the Lord is at hand. He is never far away. Okay. We've looked at some of the causes of anxiety, and we also saw from Jesus' word that we really shouldn't be anxious for anything. And we saw that also from Philippians, from Paul's writing. But our topic today really is, what is prayer? I haven't forgotten that, just in case you had. thought maybe I had. I want you to turn back to Psalm 62, and I want you to look again at verse 8. This is where we're going to focus. This very short verse has immense truth for us to learn from. And I'm hoping that as we go through this, that this mysterious thing we call prayer will become a bit clearer and we'll see how critical this need is. Psalm 62, 8. Trust. I just realized I think I wrote it down wrong. Trust in him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. There are three key terms in this one short verse. The first is the word trust. Now, we sometimes trust that we know what trust is, but I think it's important as you should know by now, I believe in defining terms. So trust here is an unwavering reliance based on past performance. 
It's not wishful thinking. Trust is solid. And it's based on past performance. But whose past performance here? God's. On God alone we should trust. Prayer, in fact, is an expression of our reliance on God's trustworthiness. It's very important, but I want to dig a little deeper. First, why do we trust? The verse tells us. We Or who do we trust? I'm sorry, not why. Who do we trust? The verse tells us. God alone. And in fact, this is repeated at least three times in the 62nd Psalm. In 62, one and true. God alone. In 62.5, God alone. And in 62.8, in him alone. Three times. And the number three is pretty significant, you know, because it's meant to give us a point, something we need to remember. Remember, God is to be trusted because he has proven himself trustworthy. When do we trust? 62.8 again. At all times. And I tried really hard as I was preparing this to think of a time that didn't fit within that time frame. At all times. And no matter how hard I tried to think of a time that wouldn't fit in that, I just couldn't come up with one. And the reason is there isn't one. Now, I know that may seem elementary to you, but to me it was a revelation. There is not a time when I am not to trust in God alone. For me, very personally, that's taken all sorts of forms in the last multiple years. So for me, that at all times includes when kids rebel when loved ones suffer and die, when we have war and when we have peace, when we have life and we face death, when we have health but then experience sickness, when we have food and clothing or hunger, and nakedness, when we're well watered, if you will, and when we're dying of thirst. No matter the circumstances, no matter the time frame, when we are to trust the Lord is at all times. That is important. Isaiah 26, 4 says it beautifully. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is our everlasting rock. Forever. Why do we trust? Because God alone keeps his promises. What has he promised us? And this is really important to overcome anxiety. What has he promised us? That we are accepted in Christ we just finished the series on justification, sanctification, and the Holy Spirit within us. God has accepted us, and he has given us his Holy Spirit. 
and he will not reject us because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness and his grace is sufficient for our need. Psalm 27 through 8. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So first prayer is trusting in God, in God alone at all times. And secondly, prayer is pouring out. Pouring out our heart before him. I found this to be very odd. Kind of a almost oxymoron. That, that God's word should command me to pour out my heart before God. Um, let me try to explain what I, probably why I struggled with that a little bit. What do we know about our hearts? Yeah, they're desperately wicked. They're depraved. They're full of sin. They need cleansing, renewal, rebirth. Our hearts, as long as we occupy this body, need sanctification. And yet, God, knowing our hearts, because that's what his word says, commands us, as Jason pointed out, to pour out our hearts before him. But I want you to notice, too, it's not just, it's not, in fact, a pouring from one vessel into another. Where is the pouring? Before God. At the feet of his throne. I don't know. I think that should cause us some trembling. Can you imagine pouring out your heart at the feet of a human potentate? I want you to think a moment of what it would be like for you to pour out your heart putrefied and ugly and with a horrible stench at the feet of God. That's what pouring is. It's pouring out, not pouring in. Before God. What's remarkable about that? What's remarkable about that is that Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you, re do you realize the privilege it is to be able not to have to form the right words? but just to be able to pour out of your heart exactly what you're feeling. The anger, the bitterness, 
It's a safe place. Mary has um, instructions to burn my prayer journals when I die. You would not want to read them. I don't even like reading them because it exposes what's there. But it is a truth. God isn't surprised. There's nothing we say to him that he's not already aware of. When circumstances make you angry, when all you can think to do is just weep because the suffering is so great, and those you love are turning away from the Lord. When your heart is broken, it is okay to say, Oh Lord, how long? Do you know why? Because that statement, Oh Lord, how long? Is not a term of doubt. It is a term of utter and complete recognition that God is in control and has a time frame for everything we experience. How long, O Lord? I challenge you, take your concordance if you have one. If you don't, look it up. How many times that phrase is repeated in Scripture. It is remarkable. People, we have through Christ and His Spirit within us the right and the responsibility to bring our hearts and all its putrefaction before the throne of God and pour it out. Does that not give you a sense of comfort? That having done that, you will not be rejected? It does me. Such mercy, such grace. From a God who knows, who has searched, as First Chronicles 28.9 says. For the Lord searches our hearts and understands every plan and thought. So to do anything less than pour out your genuine heart to the Lord is to pretend and to live a lie. That's how important this is. Pour it out. He can handle it. In fact, he has handled it. Because when that putrid mess sits at the bottom of his throne, what does he do? He covers it with the blood of Christ. Lastly, <clears throat> there is another verse here, or another phrase that is very very helpful for us to understand what it is to pray. And that is, God is a refuge for us. And again, I think it's important we understand what's a refuge. We can say those words, but we really don't necessarily give it the mental thought needed to understand. So here, a refuge is where you run, where you retreat to, when the heat of the battle overtakes you. When you need shelter, protection, protection from the pursuit of the enemy, a place we can run to rest and rejuvenate, 
before heading back into battle. God is a fortress for us. A fortress of safety. Psalm 62 too. He alone, he alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Words are important. It says greatly shaken. It doesn't say I won't be shaken. Psalm 62, 6 to 7. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. <laughs> oh God, on God, rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock. And my refuge is God. There's two kinds of shaking. The one that collapses you. And the one that makes you run for refuge. Prayer is a place to run for your life. It's not a cute little practice we do as Christians. In a few moments on a Sunday morning. It's something you do moment by moment every day. But a lot of us, me included, we're like the runner who didn't practice, who didn't train. To pray like that runner, we have to train and we have to practice in order to become strong. An experienced runner, if you will. So lastly... I think that's the second time I said lastly. Um, I promise it's the last, last name. <laughs> and briefly, two, two lies that I put into every sermon. <laughs> I want us to look real quickly at what prayer is not. Because I think if we're really going to grasp what prayer is, we also have to understand what prayer is not. And I'm not going to cover this exhaustively, but... Maybe this little phrase will stick with you. Prayer is not a currency that we spend to get what we want. Prayer is not a currency we spend to get what we want. Oh, we bring our needs. We bring them on our knees. We bring them standing, shouting. We bring our needs. We bring what's good, we bring what's ugly, and we bring what's true before the Father. But prayer really is more like a vehicle alignment than it is a shopping list. In fact, as I thought about this, I realized that prayer has a lot of characteristics in common with having a wheel alignment. I think this was on my mind because I just paid for one and it was a painful experience. Um, the purpose of an alignment is to adjust the suspension of a vehicle. The suspension connects the wheel to the vehicle. And, and we do it in order to reduce wear to end to ensure that the vehicle travels in a straight and true way. So prayer is where we go for our suspension to be properly aligned. And that is our wants 
aligned with his will. That's what prayer is. Instead of running onto an alignment rack or driving onto one, we run to the fortress and refuge of God's trust. And we do that in order to get ourselves aligned with God's good purposes, God's good protection, and God's abundant provision. We get, in a sense, our heads on straight, our anxieties out, and our minds trued up. The wrench of God's word and the rod of his holiness work on us to align our wants with his will. We don't just come with a shopping list. So I'm going to summarize. Prayer is trusting God. Prayer is pouring out our hearts honestly with all that's there before him. And it is a running as fast as you can into the refuge of the fortress of God. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Lamentations 2, 21 to 25, and this is one that um, has seen me through many um, of life's realities. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. The Lord is my portion not the food I need, not the drink, not the clothes, not the riches. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. So, beloved, please let us trust him all the time for every circumstance. And people, pour out your heart before God. He isn't worthy of it, but he is wanting of it. For God is a refuge for us. Let's pray. Oh God, that your spirit would so implant Psalm 62, 8 within us that we would never again doubt that you are to be trusted in all circumstances at all times and that there is no time that is outside of that time. And God, that we would trust you enough to come before you with all that is in our hearts and pour it out before your throne 
and there receive mercy and grace and a cleansing by the blood of Christ. And Lord God, that our feet would be ready and well-trained to run to you, our refuge. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Out of the depths I cry to you. In darkest places I will call. Incline your ear to me anew. And hear my cry for mercy, Lord. Word. 